Okay, so Nissan Strayer just flew the creme de la creme of elite automotive press release recyclers all the way up to Sweden, pointy end of the plane, no doubt, to sample fine food and wine, and of course, regurgitate all of the major press kit talking points, orbiting the delightful vehicle soon to launch here, known as the Qashqai e-Power Hybrid. Living that rock star life. (laughs) What a pity they generally missed the point, got it wrong, failed to list the vehicle's fairly friggin' obvious shortcomings and forgot to ask all of the hard questions. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. (laughs) But Australia only. Sorry to disappoint overseas dude website card in the immortal words of the author of the Australian press release recyclers overseas five-star junket anthem young MC next day's function high-class luncheon food is served in your stone-cold munchin music comes on people start to dance but then you ate so much you nearly split Yo pants. Hey, women, brother, ain't it the truth? Being an elite Australian motoring so-called journalist is, of course, not without its unique occupational hazards. It's not quite being, you know, embedded with the Marines in Ramadi, but you randomly find yourself praying to the ancient god of insulin, Diabetes from time to time, like nobody has ever been lost to hypoglycemia or scurvy on an international car launch, that's for certain. Coincidence? I don't think so. I estimate Nissan spent about 15 grand per head flying a sinister clutch of domesticated so-called journalists from Schittsville to Sweden, business class and five-star all the way. (laughs) Interesting how few media outlets disclose the nature of the freebie and how deep the snout was in the trough, which would perhaps help you make an informed sort of how bent over is this report assessment. The publisher is of course gagging for the ad revenue from that company. The so-called journalist likes to be treated as if he's Elvis fucking Presley. Just say some nice things, dude. Don't ask any hard questions. Don't rock the boat and we'll do it all again soon. Your platinum frequent flyer status is a done deal. It's got a battery, a generator, an electric motor, an inverter and a three-cylinder turbocharged 1.5-litre engine. But that internal combustion petrol-powered engine doesn't have anything to do with turning the wheels. Cars guide there entertainingly, 1st of July. And I agree... Aside from being the vehicle's primary source of tractive energy, that engine has nothing whatsoever to do with turning the wheels. Well done there. Fuck's sake. You put a bunch of car reviewers in a room, it's a monument to technical ignorance. And I, for the life of me, I have never understood that. There are certainly plenty of them on the roads in Sweden, and we got loads of admiring looks from owners of older variants as we made the countryside prettier in the new one. Cars Guide there again from the same report. I think they're still doing the free 
vomit bag promotion. It certainly seems so. Right back on track editorially, though. Audience-focused, those admiring looks. A vital part of the story there. Well done. E-Power shuts down its petrol engine more often and for longer than other hybrids. Prince Rupert's mob there at news.com.au from a report dated July the 8th. Compared with a Toyota hybrid, this is of course quite true. It does have a 31% bigger battery than a shitbox RAV4 hybrid, which is, no doubt, the most cynical and pathetic hybrid in the nation, in my view. Totally anorexic battery on that one. That car is a friggin' IQ test, as far as I can see. If you buy one, you fail. But every plug-in hybrid on the market is going to shit all over the Qashqai e-power in terms of its internal combustion engine-off battery-only drive capability. This is just a fact. Take the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross plug-in hybrid. It's got a 13.8 kilowatt hour battery versus the Qashqai at 2.1. That's 6.6 times more battery and 55 kilometres of EV only range in the Mitsubishi. MG HS Plus EV, right? Plug-in hybrid, 16.6 kilowatt hour battery, 63 kilometres of range battery only. Try doing that in the friggin' Qashqai e-power. Thu 1.5 litre turbo three pot doesn't drive the wheels at all. Drive.com.au there, part of the nine Fairfax hack sewer from July the 6th. Actually, Thu 1.5 litre does drive through wheels in pretty much exactly the same way as a dirty big 2000 horsepower diesel engine in a locomotive drives its wheels. There is no connection between the petrol internal combustion engine and the wheels. Aside from the fairly clear-cut electrical connection between through 1.5 litre engine and through wheels, which is the vehicle's primary source of tractive fucking effort. Totally on the money, dudes. Awesome work again. Power in the series hybrid version of the Nissan Qashqai comes from a front-mounted electric motor developing a healthy 140 kilowatts and 330 newton meters fed by a 2.3 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery pack. Car expert there this time from the 5th of July. It's actually 2.1 kilowatt hours, but hey, who's counting? They're only 10% wrong on that, which is well above average for Australian so-called journalism. However, if you want that 140 kilowatts, perhaps to overtake a truck or something before the end of time, most of it is simply not fed by the battery pack. It's actually bypassing the battery and coming direct from the engine via the inverter. So there's that. The hybrid part? Well, there's a 116 kilowatt, 1.5 litre turbocharged three-cylinder petrol engine that has no connection to the wheels, but instead serves as an onboard generator, a range extender, if you will. Car expert again there from the same report. Three upfucks in the one paragraph. Like, not a record, but... Solid effort. Up fuck number one. There is that pesky electrical connection to the wheels, kind of like on locomotives, and we just talked about that, dudes. Like, try to keep up. 
UF2 now. The petrol engine does not, quote, serve as an onboard generator. It drives an onboard generator. They're completely different components. The engine is bolted to a fucking generator. How hard is this to understand, honestly? UF3 now. The engine is not a range extender. Without the engine, the vehicle would have virtually zero range. The engine is the vehicle's primary source of motive power. According to Nissan, the official fuel consumption, the WLTP cycle, 5.3 litres per 100 kilometres. Now, if you paid attention at school, you would know that that is almost 200 million joules of combustion enthalpy from the petrol. That's 56 kilowatt hours, right? And at 25%-ish efficiency for the engine, that's about 14 kilowatt hours of energy at the crank for every 100 kilometres you drive versus a fucking 2 kilowatt hour battery. The engine does not just top up the battery because the battery, being that small, simply cannot provide 140 kilowatts. Right, The engine drives the wheels via its direct electrical connection via the inverter, but it does also incidentally top up the battery from time to time. The media coverage on this car is among the worst I have ever seen. Equally pathetic in my estimation is the apparent complete lack of technical appreciation inside Nissan for its own friggin' product. Good at putting a bunch of domesticated car reviewers on a plane. Not so hot at making sure they get it right. Is it any wonder that there's so much confusion out there among the punters? I'm interested in the new Nissan Qashqai e-Power, but I'm confused about how e-Power works, and the YouTube video from Nissan isn't making complete sense. So with your automotive engineering and knowledge, exactly how does Nissan's e-Power work and how does it compare with other tech like hybrids, FEV, BEV cars? Okay, so this is from an loyal viewer such as your good self and I'm gonna try to make this as simple as possible. E-Power is not really that clever. It's just another kind of hybrid. But it is a bit of a fail on engineering fundamentals, I'd suggest, especially in terms of its efficiency. And it's going to be too expensive, right? We'll get to that. Here's how it works, though. It's got a dirty big 140 kilowatt electric motor driving the front wheels. It's got a tiny battery, 2.1 kilowatt hours. Now, this thing here, right, is a Bluetti AC200 Max, and it's got... 2.048 kilowatt hours of lithium iron phosphate battery, but inside the box is also a 2000 watt inverter, a fan force cooling system, and a bunch of power out ports, plus a solar charge controller. And I estimate that about half of the total volume of the box is the battery itself, which is about the same capacity roughly as the Qashqai e-Power. 
The Bluetti is ideal for silent off-grid operation when you need 240 volts or for power failure backup at home, that kind of thing. You can run a bunch of power tools for most of the day or the fridge, the TV, some lights. You can recharge your phone and computer to stay in touch with the outside world. All while the grid dudes get the power back up. I'll put a full review link to that card up there and in the description if I remember, but I'm getting old so no guarantee. But I would not expect something the size of the Blue Eddy with two and a bit kilowatt hours to take me and ton and a half of steel and glass all that far down the road because proportionality. We'll get into that in a minute. The point I'm making is, if you're wondering how big the battery in the Qashqai is, now you know. Like, it's a bit bigger than a shoebox. Or another way of looking at it, I suppose, using things that you might be familiar with, it's about 29 of these 18 volt, four amp hour power tool batteries. 2.1 kilowatt hours is a lot in the context of this, but it is tiny in the context of cars. The Qashqai e-Power actually has a dirty big inverter because it needs to be able to drive an electric motor with 140 kilowatts of output power. And the petrol engine is only connected to the generator. So in that sense, it's kind of like a petrol electric generator that you might take camping, albeit a fair bit bigger, at three cylinders, 1.5 litres, and 116 kilowatts. And the engine also has variable compression, which is mainly there to optimize fuel efficiency at low loads. So the drive is from the electric motor, which makes it feel kind of like an EV because the drive itself is electric. It doesn't feel like the RAV4, for example, like the hybrid, which overwhelmingly drives the wheels mechanically with a petrol engine and a CVT. Like all hybrids and battery EVs, the Qashqai e-Power regeneratively breaks. So when you lift off, the drive motor becomes a generator and it converts kinetic energy, which you are now bleeding off to stop at the lights or something. It converts a proportion of that into electricity and it stores that in the battery for propulsional sort of use later on, subject to the battery actually having latent storage capacity available. This vehicle can drive for a very short distance on battery alone. And remember, it's got an anorexic battery, so you'd expect that. And it can only do this at low loads because physics, if you demand a lot of power, the petrol engine must operate. When the battery gets depleted, the petrol engine runs, driving the generator and topping up the battery. And when you demand a lot of power, the petrol engine runs, firing up the generator, pumping electricity direct to the inverter and driving the wheels directly, bypassing the battery. If you floor it to overtake some truck or something, or be the only dude ever at a drag strip in a Qashqai e-Power, the battery will discharge heavily to provide the balance of the vehicle's maximum 140 kilowatts, but it can only do that really, really briefly. Nissan has configured the vehicle this way so that it feels like an EV to drive and you don't have to plug it in. The problem with engineering is, however, compromise, right? If you tweak a system one way, something else, some other operational factors get thrown under the bus. 
And the obvious casualties with this design are efficiency and how friggin' hard they're driving the Qashqai ePower's Mini-Me battery. Anybody who paid attention at school can see that this ePower hybrid design from Nissan is hardly there to optimise efficiency. Like, come on. And if you can't see that and you want to understand the why and the how, we have to go back to some spooky scientific fundamentals that do raise the thorny issue of blood erupting like projectile from both ears. But hopefully not. We have to just talk briefly about the second law of thermodynamics, which is a very scary sounding concept, but it's really quite simple in terms of its practical application at least. It just says that if you've got a system like a car and you don't allow energy in or out, you put it in a box that prevents the transmission of work and energy into or out of the box, then every time you do a process in the box, you lose available energy. And what that means is if you start with an engine and you pump out the engine's output into a generator and then you get what the generator produces and you put it in an inverter and then you get the output from the inverter and you run it through a traction motor to drive the actual friggin' wheels, every one of these processes involves the loss of some of that energy the accessible part of the energy. It'd be a violation of the first law if you lost the energy, but there's this concept called exergy, which means like the available energy, or the inverse of that is like entropy, which is the trend towards universal randomization, okay? Don't worry about that stuff. Every time you do a process, you lose available energy. Now, that's because processes are irreversible, they involve inefficiencies and some available energy is just intrinsically lost, okay? So I went and ballparked the kinds of efficiency losses to expect in systems such as these. And a generator, about 90% efficient, which sounds pretty good, all right? An inverter, according to Linquip, which is one of these companies that manufactures a whole bunch of inverters, Inverters are about 90% efficient. It varies from 85 to 95. The average across all inverters, 90, okay? A traction motor, according to Renault Group, a traction motor in an EV is about 90% efficient. And that sounds pretty good as well, right? Now, but if you do it three or four times in a row, something spooky starts to happen. See, we could start with our internal combustion engine at maximum power output, 116 kilowatts, and we run it through a 90% efficient process to generate electricity. And we end up losing quite a bit, like 12 kilowatts. The generator can only output 104 kilowatts of usable power because of the inefficiency of that process, the second law of thermodynamics, right? Then you've got to put the generator's output through an inverter to turn it into alternating current. That's about 90% efficient as well. And all of a sudden, your 104 kilowatts coming out of your generator equals 94 kilowatts coming out of your inverter. And you pump that straight through to the traction motor, another 90% efficient process, and you've only got 85 kilowatts coming out of the traction motor ready to drive the wheels, okay? That's kind of important because we started with 116 and spitballing it at 90% per step, we're down to 85, right? And that means we've got to get 
the balance, which is 140 kilowatts, total uh, power output of the traction motor is 140. So if we've got 85 coming down this process, we've got to get another 55 here from the battery. And the battery is subject to the same kinds of process losses on the way because energy has to come out of the battery and go through the inverter and then it's got to go through the traction motor. So if we need 55 kilowatts from the battery, then it has to supply 61 kilowatts out of the inverter and 67 kilowatts coming out of the battery. And this is a preposterous power output for a two and a bit kilowatt hour battery. It's like they've got this C rating for the rate of discharge and the default maximum discharge rate for something like a power tool battery, it's 2C, which means if you've got a, let's say a 100 watt hour battery, its maximum discharge rate is like 200 watts, okay? That's kind of how this works. And with some very spooky chemistry, you can get up to 20 and 30 C worth of discharge rate, but we're talking 32 C to deliver 140 kilowatts. And when you're doing this at this kind of rate, you can only do it so briefly because the battery is going to be working really hard. It's gonna generate a lot of heat. And when you push a battery that hard, you open the door to catastrophic thermal runaway. So thermal management of the battery at extremely high rates of discharge is a thing. And you better not fuck it up when you design a battery system because otherwise, you know, quite entertaining on the nightly news over and over and over. And this is an extremely fast rate of discharge to get that 140 kilowatts. And I know exactly what you're saying when you might say to me, but that 140 kilowatts, that's the maximum for the whole car in practice out there on the road. You hardly ever deliver that. And I'd say, yeah, dude, absolutely. But there will be the odd lead foot who drives one of these vehicles who is extremely aggressive often enough or drives in a very mountainous location, wants to press on a bit. It's a company car, whatever. He's going to be putting the battery through a number of these cycles, which may not be quite as rigorous as that, but they're still extremely high rates of discharge and they can only go for a short amount of time. And I think it'd be very interesting actually to put one of these cars on a dynamometer and crank it right up and see what happens, right? Fire extinguisher at the ready kind of thing. I suspect there's a self-protection routine built into the thing where the battery just shuts itself down in terms of the rate of discharge when a particular temperature event is recorded in, you know, the system. It would be either that or catastrophic thermal runaway, and when that happens, you know, nothing's going to help. So I also did a parallel thought experiment where I thought, well, what about if Nissan is using the world's best inverters, generators, traction motors, whatever, and maybe the efficiency is 95% of each one of these processes. And I basically did that in red in parallel, and you can basically see the numbers. 104 here turns into 110, 94 there goes into 105. And we essentially end up with 99 kilowatts here from the internal combustion engine at peak power output driving the wheels. That requires 41 from the battery, but it's got to go through these two processes to get there. So there's that 90% efficiency loss that has to be compensated for as you go back upstream, 46 kilowatts, 51 out of the battery, which is still a 24C 
rate of discharge from that tiny little battery. So hypothetically, that could last for about three minutes, is it? 20, 20 is about three minutes, I think. Anyway, 30 is about two minutes, 20 is about three minutes. But I'd suggest you really couldn't drive the battery that hard without sort of seriously overheating it. So there's there's got to be a protection routine built into there. And this 140 total has to be very brief indeed in terms of its actual real-world achievability. And uh, the other thing I did was I cross-checked the, uh, the difference between a, an EV, like a Kona Electric, right? The Kona Electric, I went through this process with the Kona Electric, and the discharge rate there for that battery is only about 3C, which is a much more gentle process. And even so, there's a massive cooling system built into the battery of that vehicle for thermal management, right? And the other thing that's really interesting here is if you subscribe to the estimate of 95%, which is above what Renault Group says here for the traction motor, for example, it's way better than um, the average that Linquip quotes, although 95% is achievable for inverters. If you subscribe to that, you're losing 15% of the energy between the internal combustion engine and the wheels at 95%. And interestingly enough, that's exactly the same as the sort of ballpark best estimate for losses in the transmission of a conventional vehicle. So going from internal combustion to the wheels only via an automatic transmission and a gear train is about as efficient as the best case scenario for this process. But the thing that worries me more than anything else about this process is the spectacular drain on the baby battery. Nissan, of course, has a fairly appalling track record on battery reliability, and I would want to see some compelling evidence that they had managed to turn this ship around before I jumped into bed and dropped 50 grand on a system that is this complex and new from them. Complexity is, of course, the enemy of reliability, and the only countermeasure we know of is robust R&D. And frankly, they are not renowned for that, especially in the battery department. And isn't it funny how nobody on the Sweden snout trough junket pointed that out? Pro tip, okay? You're probably going to need to run this car on 95 Ron premium unleaded because it's coming straight out of the Sunderland factory in the UK and it's destined mainly for the EU market. And certainly that's what the petrol only one is going to require, 95 Ron. So that's going to be something to factor in if you are buying one to quote unquote start saving money on fuel. The compression ratio on this vehicle is 14 to 1 at its highest, and it's pretty hard to see that operating happily on 91, right? It's going to cost as much as five grand extra, too, for all of that e-power voodoo. The prices are not yet officially announced, but this is where the informed speculation is heading, and that'll be dependent on model grade, obviously. So that's going to be like 5.3 litres per 100 for e-power voodoo versus 6.1 for petrol-only conventional shitter. Thus, e-power voodoo, by virtue of the inefficiency problem, which just discussed, right, it amps up the complexity, 
but it actually only saves you about 800 millilitres of petrol for every 100 kilometres of driving you do. And it's going to cost you about five grand more up front. Now, the average price for 95 is $2.20 per litre today, according to Fuel Check. So you're going to be saving about a buck 76 every 100 kilometres, which seems pretty trivial to me. Five grand divided by a buck 76 is 2,841 increments of 100 k's, which is 284,100 kilometres. That's how far you have to drive to break even financially. Not to get ahead and save one cent to break even, okay? It just doesn't seem worth it. And isn't it funny how nobody with their snout in the friggin' trough on Nissan's Sweden junket managed to point that out? I guess as a museum exhibit, Qashqai e-power is half interesting. As an engineering PhD type dissertation into systematically alternative hybrid systems? Yeah, yeah, it's a footnote in all of that, I guess, but as a viable commercial proposition to save fuel and or money, same thing, or the planet, same thing, don't waste my time, dude. However, I would suggest that as a look up the skirt at how post-lockdown snout-in-the-trough journalism is going here in Australia and a health check on the technical competency of some of the major motoring press release recyclers in this fine nation, the Qashqai e-power has proven itself to be absolutely remarkable.